All right, well, Greg Boyd is out again this weekend, and so we've asked our friend Dwayne Polk to come. So could you please help me in welcoming Mr. Dwayne Polk? Thank you. Ah. Good morning, Woodland Hills. Actually, I feel Texan, so howdy. That's what I'm talking about. As it's getting warm, I kind of found myself, you know, kind of missing the South, you know, so. I might say y'all a lot in this sermon, so don't worry about it. All right, um, greetings in the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, I am Dwayne Polk. Um, for those of you who don't know me, I worked on ministry staff here, and I don't work here anymore, but this is still my home church, so. I'm just gonna kick off my shoes, hopefully, and we'll just get started here. Um, I'm gonna give the title of this message after I tell a story, but before I even tell that story, I would just like to um, set, um, consecrate all of this to God. We already are in this phase of worship, but I just want God to totally take reign over these words and take um, reign over us listening. So let's pray. Lord, you are the wonderful Holy One. You are the person that is always there, even when we don't recognize it. So we just thank you for your holy presence. We thank you for this beautiful day that you've given us and the opportunity to worship and sing with our brothers and sisters. And now we ask that as you speak to us, that you by your spirit would unstop our ears, that you would open our eyes, that you would open our hearts to receive what you have to say. I pray that you would just completely diminish um, what is of me and that you would speak clearly through my words, that you would put your mouth on my mouth, that you would put your mind on my mind and that you would speak to us, your people, and move us in the direction you would have us to go. We want to change and be your people. And we believe that as a result of this word, we will never be the same and we will make change for your kingdom. And we thank you in Jesus' name. And all the people said, amen. amen. All right. Okay. Um, I'm going to share something some of y'all might know, but um, whenever um, males are like in their teenage years or, you know, early 20s, sometimes they can be slightly, I don't know, arrogant, uh, slightly reckless, um, prone to get in trouble. Stop me, women, anytime you want. Um, <laughs> but anyway, you know, we, we can, we can kind of get into some things. And so, you know, I had, you know, different friends that would get into different stuff. And so um, I'll name this person Max. And Max was... Um, Kind of somebody you didn't want to get into it with, honestly. I mean, he would really kind of mess you up. So um, anyway, Max is out. He's relaying this story to me. And so there was this guy that both of us had known. And so whenever Max would get on the scene, this dude would mean mug Max. Does everybody know what mean mug is? Mean mug is basically when somebody looks at you and they're looking at you salty. Basically, it's like, why are you doing so good? Think you look good in them shoes, huh? Like that, Okay. So Max is going into, you know, different parties and stuff like that. And so this guy has a, a big crew of people with him. And so Max says the dude mugging him. It's like, okay, well, what's, what's good? What's going on? He's like, man, you better sit down over there. We're, we're talking all of this stuff. And he said, you better be glad my boys are here. I'd really mess you up. So Max is like, oh, all right. Okay. So then they go out again. Well, they don't go out together, but they go to this spot, this party. And so Max is there and this other guy's there and the guy's with his girl now. And so they're out there. And so the guy is talking stuff to Max again and saying, man, you better be glad my girl is here. If my girl wasn't here, man, I'd smack you all up and down. And whoop, whoop. So Max is like, all right. <laughs> so then one day Max is out. And what do you know? He sees the guy and the guy is all alone. There's no 
girlfriend, there's no friends, he's all alone. So Max comes up to the dude, taps him on the shoulder, and the dude turns around, he's like, and the dude's like, he's like, so what's good, you know? You were talking all that stuff, and, and this is what he said, and I'll never forget it. He said, well, there's nothing but air and opportunity between us now. You ain't got no girl, you ain't got no friends. Hey, what's good? What's really good? And I was like, oh, man, so what happened? He's like, dude, he folded like a paper plane, man. <laughs> I was like, what, for real? Like, yes. Like, he, like, so all the braggadocio, all of the arrogance, all the things that this dude was doing at the club when there were people with him, Somehow he couldn't manifest all of that power whenever he was actually confronted by Max. And it's very interesting. So whenever he was talking to Max before, it's like, you know, if I didn't have this limitation, I didn't have that limitation, I would do X. But then when there was nothing but air and opportunity, it just showed up to be a bunch of cowardice. And what's interesting is I believe that there might be a lot of us in different stages of our life that sometimes we kind of are like that. It's like, you know what? Hey, if this job wasn't holding me back, man, I'd do a whole bunch for God. I'd do a whole bunch for the world. Man, if this, the family wasn't holding me back, you know, if these issues, if these limitations weren't holding me back, man, I tell you what, I would really go for it. Some people are always talking about if they had X ability or X authority or X relationships, then they would be able to do something. But then when the air and opportunity present themselves, sometimes they don't take it. And I believe that there is a story in the Bible that talks about just this very thing. And so, in light of all this, we're gonna title this message, Air and Opportunity. <laughs> yes, Air and Opportunity. All right, we're going from Luke 18. And in Luke 18, Jesus is moving on from Jericho to Jerusalem. Now, when he gets to Jerusalem, that's whenever they're going to do the Hosanna and the highest and laying down all the leaves and everything. Um, but he hasn't gotten there yet. And up to this time, there's been this real messianic expectation. Like whenever Jesus just touches down on Jerusalem, that the kingdom of God is just going to come down and all the enemies are going to be destroyed and woo. And so... Jesus realizes that the people that are among him are having this consideration. And so what he decides to do so he can kind of reframe their expectation and also teach them something as well is that he wants to go ahead and tell a parable. Now, before we get into the parable, I just want to describe to you a little bit about parables. Parables are really, are really powerful, vivid stories that people tell to make kind of a point or a couple of points. And it's very important to understand that we are not to analyze a parable you know, as an exact representation of what we're trying to say. For example, there was one time when Jesus was telling the parable about the unjust judge and how there was a woman that kept coming to the judge that didn't even care about God. And because she begged so much, the, the judge actually granted her wish. And he was saying, you know, if that's the way an unjust judge would be, how much more would God be? Now, was Jesus calling God an unjust judge? No. Good. But he was making a point. And so that is basically the flavor of what we're talking about as parable. He's telling this story and he wants the people to get some of the critical points he's trying to make here. So that we can actually fit this, because the real way that you get a parable is to understand the background context. There's always a context whenever a parable is spoken to make it either humorous or not so humorous or whatever. So here is the context for the parable that, we're, that Jesus is going to talk about. During Jesus' day, actually, you know, around the time he was born, you remember there was Herod the Great, and Herod the Great was trying to kill all of the kids because he found out a new king was going to be born. 
Anyway, that dude Herod the Great had a son named Archelaus. And Archelaus was willed, in, in, in King Herod's will, the rulership of Judea. Now, and Samaria actually. Now his army wanted him to take over really, really quickly. But he decided against that. He decided what he was gonna do is, even though he was bequeathed this, he was nobility, he was the king's son, he was gonna go off and he was gonna go to Rome to uh, Augustus Caesar, get formal power there, and then when, he come back, then when he came back, he would be uncontested. So this is the kind of thing that he was doing. And you have to understand, in Matthew 2, whenever Joseph, was, um, God told Joseph, okay, I'm, I want you to come out of Egypt, I want you to come back. Whenever Joseph heard that Archelaus was on the throne, he was scared and didn't want to come back. Now, I know you're asking the question, okay, why would Joseph be so scared? What, what is this dude known for? Well, how about this? Whenever he went to go get the power, you know, from Augustus Caesar, there were um, a group of Jews, a lot of them Pharisees, and they were opposed to his rule. And so they were, you know, kicking up dust a little bit. Before he left to, to go to Rome, he actually killed 3,000 Jewish people that were going against his rule. Now, some people might say that's a little heavy-handed. I would. But he wanted to make the point about who was really in charge, okay? So he's killed 3,000 Jews. Then he leaves. As he leaves, there's Jews that obviously have problems with him, so they actually send out entreaties to go to Rome too to say, look, we do not want Archelaus over us. We don't want him to rule over us. So all of these different riots and different things are happening. When he gets the power and comes back from Rome, now it's not like he was just the bravest leader, but he was kind of paranoid, and so paranoid people really try to, you know, kind of nip things in the bud. So when he comes back, 2,000 more Jewish people are crucified. And so what the point that he tries to make is he wants to try to solidify all of this stuff, and he goes to get the power, and, but all, and all of the people that were loyal to him He's going to give them what they need. And all of the people that were enemies of him, well, you see how they were dealt with. So everybody that is hearing Jesus' story would kind of know about this Archelaus dude and kind of know about that whole situation about what happened and how he came back and killed the enemies and all that. So that is the context in which this parable comes. Now, I want you to understand that when Jesus is talking, some of these people like Jesus, other of these people are kind of confused, and other people are just outright opposed to his rule. So think about what these people might be hearing whenever Jesus says these words. Starting at the verse. While they were listening to this, he went on to tell them a parable because he was near Jerusalem, and the people thought that the kingdom of God was going to appear at once. He said, a man of noble birth, this is where the parable started, a man of noble birth went to a distant country to have himself appointed king and to return. And then he called 10 of his servants and gave them 10 minas. Put this money to work, he said, until I come back. That's important. Put this money to work, he said, until I come back. But his subjects hated him and sent a delegation after him to say, we don't want this man to be our king. He was made king, however, and returned home. And then he sent for the servants to whom he had given the money in order to find out what they had gained with it. So in other words, when this, leader, when this master left, he left certain responsibilities and duties for people that were aligned to him before he got the power. And so now he's back and he's saying, okay, what did you do with what I gave to you, what I allotted to you? The first one came and said, sir, your mina has earned 10 more. You gave me this, I earned 10 times that. 
Well done, my good servant, his master replied. Because you have been trustworthy in a very small matter, that's going to become important too. Because you were trustworthy in a very small matter, take charge of 10 cities. That's huge. The second came and said, sir, your mina has earned five more. The master answered, you take charge of five cities. Then another servant came and said, sir, here is your mina. I have kept it laid away in a piece of cloth. I was afraid of you because you are a hard man. You take out what you did not put in and you reap what you did not sow. His master replied, I will judge you by your own words, you wicked servant. You knew, did you, that I'm a hard man, taking out what I did not put in and reaping what I did not sow. Why then didn't you put my money on deposit that when I came back, I could have collected it with interest? Then he said to those standing by, take his mina from him and give it to the one who has 10 minas. Sir, they said he already has 10. He replied, I tell you to everyone who has, more will be given. But as, for the, as far as those who have nothing, even what they have will be taken away. But those enemies of mine who did not want me to be king over them, bring them here and kill them right in front of me. Now just put yourself in the seats of these people and this parable is being talked to you. Now, you know the story about Archelaus. You know the story about a noble leader who is going away to be appointed king and comes back expecting some kind of obedience but finding def defiance and finding rebellion and deals with that accordingly. Now, does that sound kind of familiar? You think Jesus might have been trying to make some analogies there? I, I really think that this similarity wasn't lost on the hearers. Well, this whole thing is about airing opportunity, so it's cool I'm talking about that, but let's talk about the title, because that is the title, airing opportunity. In the parable, the master decides to leave financial resources for all 10 of his servants to do business with. So all of them get the exact same amount, it's Amina. And Amina is, um, back in that time period, is like three months worth of wages. Now, I know that that's a lot dealing with the recession, amen? <laughs> Everybody, I know I'd like three months wage right now. But anyway, back in this time period, there were larger denominations of money. For example, um, there, um, it would take many mina to make one talent. One talent was like a lot of mina back in this time. So a mina really wasn't that much. But at the same time, ordinary slaves didn't have minas. Ordinary slaves didn't have this kind of money around. So basically, whenever a slave got that kind of money, it was known that they were a delegated authority. Like they were to spend this money on behalf of somebody else, okay? Now, if I were to just kind of get in the minds of the people in the parable, I can imagine that maybe all 10 of them have just been destitute. They've been in slavery for a long time and they're just like, you know what, man, I'm tired of this life. If I just had one chance, if somebody would just give me one chance, I guarantee you I can make the money. If I had one chance, I guarantee you I could do something that could really make an impact. If somebody gave me just one opportunity, I guarantee that I could do something different in my life. And so then the master would come to these 10 people and say, guess what? I'm going to go away. I need some people I can trust. Here is a meaner for each of you. Here is your air and opportunity. What are you going to do with it? Now, the first two, I mean, you, obviously they took, they seized the day, carpe diem, they seized that moment and they said, you know what, we're going to do this. And so the one person took the one meter, made it 10 times greater. Then the next person took the meter, made it five times greater. Okay? Now, what's interesting is the reward. 
Because even though they had a mina, which the, 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 um, the master said was a very small matter, they actually got cities. Now, I want to really put this in the context because that's, that is totally disproportionate. It would be like if I were going away for two weeks, and let's say I had 50 bucks, right? And I'm like, well, I can do something with this. And so I go to my friend who's an eBay wizard. They buy and trade and sell and all that stuff. And I'm like, you know what? I got $50. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to give it to you and see what you can buy, see what you can sell. Whatever you do with it, you know, we'll settle up when I get back and we'll see how that goes, right? So I go away. And then I come back, and he's like, dude, I took your $50, and I made 50 more. And that's pretty good, doubling your money. And so I'm like, wow, man, thank you so much. You actually did this. Okay, since you did this, here's the keys to your new house. Here's the keys to your new car. Here are your two dogs, and then here's your pool in the back. He'd be like, uh, dude. <laughs> I just made you 50 additional dollars, but you are telling me that you're trying to give me a house and a car and some pets and a pool? Now, that person would say, that is really disproportionate to the level of responsibility that you gave me. But that is an important part of the parable, which we'll, be, which we'll see later on, is yes, even though the mina was small that was given to you, there are disproportionate rewards that come from being faithful with that meaning. But now we get to the last dude. Uh-oh. <laughs> now this last dude says that he hid his away in a piece of cloth because he didn't want to chance angering his hard man of a master with any significant loss. See, basically what he was saying is, I know you are an opportunist. You try to get in where you fit in and you try to get money even where you didn't plan it. So, because I know that I felt like it would be best for me to go ahead and put this in a piece of cloth. Now, this dude fits a scenario or a type of person that, I, that um, a friend of mine made a suggestion about. And he said this, I'll never forget this. He said, real people recognize real people. Fake people cannot recognize real people because they're too busy being fake. I'm gonna say that again, it's pretty cool. The real can recognize the real, but the fake can net recognize the real because they're too busy being fake. Now, I would say that this third person falls perfectly into that kind of category. Why? Because he was so fake that he didn't understand that he wasn't acting consistently with his own assessment of the master. So that the master's like, well, wait a minute now, let's go by what you said. You said that I'm a hard man and that obviously I reap where I didn't sow and all that stuff. So if you, so, if you had my intention in mind so much, why didn't you put my money where I could actually get interest for doing nothing? So by your own words, you are condemned. He was so busy trying to fake his allegiance to the Lord instead of honestly admitting that it was his fear that he decided to put it on him and say, well, hey, at least I got this. Instead of seeing, instead of seeing very clearly that he did not have his master at heart, he had himself at heart. And he was being fake and the master could see it. Also, there was something else that he was doing, just flat out, disobedience. The master said, and I quote, put this money to work until I come back. Put this money to work. He didn't say think about it. He didn't say, you know, put it in the bag and you hold on to it. Because see, back at this time, that was one of the worst things you could do because people could come into your crib and steal. 
So the best thing to do is to, if you're having that kind of money is to actually give it to the money changers. So this dude was all the way backwards and he was disobedient. So by choosing to focus on himself rather than his master, the air and opportunity that was given to him was not used and the, the kingdom of the master, the influence of the master was not expanded. Now, I believe like it was just like the, the nothing but air and opportunity situation. I believe that maybe this third person, he was like, you know, hey, if I just had a chance, maybe somebody could give me some money. Maybe I could do something. And then he gets it. You have nothing but air and opportunity. Go for it. And what does he do? He buries that opportunity. So what does the master do? He takes the third meaner, takes the meaner from the third servant and then gives it to the first one almost to say this that the reward that you get for faithfulness is more responsibility. And that's why some people are like, well, look, he already has 10. And then he says, you know, hey, the people that have more will be given to them, but those that do not have, those that have not tried to put that thing into use, even, the, even what they think they have will be taken from them. And we're going to talk about that a little bit later. In order to get the master's favor and the responsibility he wants to give, you have to be faithful with the meaning you're given. So the overall message that Jesus was trying to convey to these people back in this time period were, I think, twofold. First of all, he wanted them to understand that no, the kingdom would not come immediately whenever he stepped into Jerusalem and that there might be a delayed coming. That yes, there might be a situation where a nobleman will have to go away and come back with his kingship. And so that we must patiently wait. But he also was letting them know, trying to reframe some expectation about how they should operate during that time, that they should be accountable for the mina that they have, that they should be accountable for the stewardship that God gives them while Jesus is on his trip and before he comes back. Now, it's great to see what the original hearers would have thought of, and yes, they might have changed their minds before they actually got to Jerusalem, but it's 2,000 years later, okay? We are not in Jerusalem, we ain't in Jericho, we in America, Okay? So it's like, and we're separated by 2,000 years, so it's like, how does this really apply to us? Do we have a mina? Is there a mina that God is trying to give us some kind of delegated stewardship? In, in reading the Bible, my brothers and sisters, I believe that the answer is yes. Ephesians 1, 11 through 14. Ephesians 1, 11 through 14. And this is where we will find our answer. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. In order that we who were the first to put our hope in Christ might for the praise of his, be, for the, be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Now, focus on this point. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal. The promised Holy Spirit. So anybody that believed the gospel, they were marked with the Holy Spirit, the person of the Holy Spirit, who is a deposit, a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Now, this is extremely important. Anybody under my, the sound of my voice, if you have heard the gospel and you have believed on the gospel for your salvation, you believe in the Lord Jesus, then this says that you have been sealed. You have been sealed with a deposit for an inheritance. In other words, it's like a down payment. Has anybody ever had to make a down payment? <laughs> yeah, we don't like those. But anyway, 
This is in a good sense. A down payment is something you put on, you put down a little bit, but then you're getting all of this other stuff for this little stuff you're putting down here. And that is exactly what we have. Now, we have to understand what we have is not like a, a blast of spiritual power or just some, some magical energy. Every believer has the very Holy Spirit indwelling within them. And this is important. This is, this is the personal presence of Jesus through the Holy Spirit. I don't care if you're rich. I don't care if you're poor. I don't care if you're skinny, not so skinny. I don't care if you're tan or albino. <laughs> I don't care. None of those differences makes, make any difference. The fact of the matter is, if you are a believer, you have the fullness of the Holy Spirit within you. You have no more or no less of God than anybody else. And it is by that spirit that we know that we are God's children. Romans 8. For those who are led by the spirit of God are the children of God. The spirit you receive does not make you slaves that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. This is very important. We are human beings, but God has put his spirit in us. And because of that, we are adopted sons and daughters of the creator of the universe. Hey, hello? Adopted sons and daughters of the creators of the universe. And by him, we cry, Abba, Father, like we don't have to say, you know, oh God, I know that you would never want to speak to me. No, we have the boldness to say, Daddy, Daddy. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are, check this out, heirs. Do you remember the thing about the deposit and the inheritance? If we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. We rule and reign with him. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we might share in his glory. My brothers and sisters, I don't care what situation that life has you in. There are some times that life can have you in a financial situation where you feel like you don't have any air to breathe. You don't have any opportunity to move. Sometimes there's um, fr friendships that turn into problems and there's emotional, psychological things and you feel like you don't have any air to move and no opportunity to breathe. You know what I mean? The point is, if you have the Holy Spirit in you, you have all of the power and presence you need to do the things you need to do. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. There is absolutely nothing that can separate you from the love of Christ. The person in you literally is above all that you can ask or. And that's a lot. And that personal power exists within each and every one of us. That is our meaning. Now, when I think about this, I think that, one, that whenever Jesus comes back and the parousia happens, the second coming, and he will look, and I believe it will be like the noble he will, he will come back and have an account. He'll want an accounting. And I think he might say something like this for this purpose. So, okay, you know, at Woodland, you learned about recognizing my present, living in the present moment, and you learned about doing all things through my spirit, and you learned about how I'm giving you power and authority to make relationships and to build bridges and all those things. Knowing that you had all of that at your disposal because I was in you, how did you use that presence to expand my kingdom? How did you use that presence? Now, you knew you had it. 
So how did you use that power? How did you use my love and my concern and my compassion? How did you use that for others? And this is the kicker. See, when in the parable, the other dude had to come back and try to figure out what they did as far as how well did you use it or something like that. But at the end of this thing, Jesus is already going to know because he's the gift. So he's going to know when we weren't calling on him. And he's going to know when we weren't living in his presence and living in his love. And he's going to know to what degree we did not expand the kingdom like maybe we would have thought. And I believe that there are going to be some people that whenever that is spoken, he says, you know, what did you do? And people are going to be like, hey, well, Jesus, I used your presence to do this. I used your presence to heal this relationship. And other people might be in a situation where they love Jesus and everything is about how God is good to them. It's like, yes, I got Jesus. I, yes, I do. I got Jesus. How about you? <laughs> and don't get me wrong. I'm glad that people appreciate the presence of Jesus. But at the same time, are you using that presence of Jesus to extend his kingdom? Because the presence is not just meant for you. In 1 Corinthians 3, he talks about how the foundation has been laid and the foundation is Christ. And there will be a day of testing where by fire, well, it will be shown the quality of everybody's work. And some might be saved even as by fire. And that's what we're talking about. Some people, they might hear it like, well, Jesus, I had your presence. Jesus is like, well, did you love the unlovable? Did you help those that nobody wanted to help? Oh, that person that cussed you out, did you forgive them yet? And then maybe some of that self-satisfaction with your relationship with Jesus might contract a little bit. Let me tell you a little bit of story. I have permission to do this. Because I, I feel like this is not just a stated reality in the Bible. This is practical reality. There was a time... Um, sometime early last year, I was going through a lot of things, some financial, some emotional, and um, I was just really in a place where I felt like everything was closing in on me. I was, I was getting frustrated with home life, I was getting frustrated with work, I was getting frustrated with ministry. And so there was an altercation that happened and I really felt a lot of pain now. My pride was involved in a lot of this. Sometimes a lot of the, pro the, the issues that you have are dealing with your own perspective. But at that time, I felt so hurt by the people that I loved. I felt so hurt by the situations that I was at work. And I remember looking out the window and said, I'm not going home. I do not want to go home. I do not want to see anybody at home. I, I was like, I felt like and it was, it was at the state where my love was at. I'm like, I cannot love anybody else anymore. I cannot serve anybody else. I'm done. I'm tired. And so I did something that maybe people shouldn't do during this time. I decided to pray. <laughs> Why did I want to do that? <laughs> maybe because I'm a preacher. But anyway, so I'm like, you know, Lord, you know, I'm, I'm not going home. I'm actually thinking about other arrangements I'm going to make. I'm not trying to go home. And God said, this is your creator talking. He said, it is your assignment to go home and to love your wife as Christ loved the church. And it is also your assignment to go home and love your neighbor as yourself. Now, at this time, I'm not feeling this. 
I'm not feeling this. And I'm like, man, but you saw and you, man, that, that. he's like, it is your assignment to go back home. And it is your assignment to love your wife as Christ loved the church and to love your neighbor as yourself. And you do what I tell you to do. I went home. <laughs> and let me tell you something. I got in the house and I went to the bed and I cried for like two hours because I was in so much emotional pain. Again, proud to do that to you. And I was just like, oh, I just, and I was thinking to myself and I felt like God was trying to tell me some stuff. And I'm like, I don't have it in me. I don't have it in me to forgive anymore. I don't have it in me to let things slide. I don't have it in me to even look at my own sin. I don't have it in me. I'm done. And then he was like, who's in you? (laughs) I don't want to hear that. You. (laughs) It's like, well, if I'm in you, then you have the power to love. And you have the power to forgive. And you have the power to look yourself in the face. You've got the power to do that. And I told God, you know what? I'm I'm so done. If you can do it, then you do it. (laughs) Hey, hey, can we get real? You do it. Because I can't do it right now. And you know what God said? Okay. Okay. And little by little, over different conversations, I was able to have different, different conversations with my wife and different conversations with my friends and different hard looks at myself. And I'm able to say that because of God and because he was able to empower me to love and to relate beyond myself, I have a beautiful relationship with my life. I have a beautiful relationship with my friends and I'm standing here right now right now because things could be totally different but I decided to rely on that Mina it was only that personal presence of Jesus that was able to take me beyond my pride and take me beyond my limited perspective to see what he wanted to do with the situation and I did not break the relationships that I inevitably inevitably would have broken God has given us his spirit for use, not just for us to just see, you know, ooh, I got this. No, it is for us to use. It is for us to mend relationships. It is for us to forgive those that will not be forgiven, to love those who will not be loved. And sometimes that's ourselves. There's another scripture, 1 Peter 4, because I want to hone this in. This gift, this mina that God has given us, that God has given each one of us, is for the expansion of his kingdom. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in various forms. If you speak, you should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If you serve, you should do so with the strength God provides. Underline that not the strength you provide, not the strength your mind provides, the strength God provides. So that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. I'm here to tell you right now, 
I don't care what situation you're in. I don't care if you've been homeless. I don't care if you've been without a job. I don't care if you've been without possibilities or whatever. As long as you believe in Jesus Christ, you have the air and the opportunity to make the next step you need to make. See, there is, there is this lie going on that wants to tell the people of God that they are separate from God, but the word says otherwise because we have his spirit in us. And let me, let me tell you something. I know sometimes with relationships or sometimes with issues, it feels like it's a destination that's like 10,000 miles long. Like, I'll never be able to get over that. I'll never be able to get that job again. I'll never be able to restore this relationship. But guess what? The trip of 1,000 miles begins with one step. And if you trust in the meaning within you, if you trust in the Holy Spirit within you, he will trust you. He will give you the air and opportunity. And if you just trust that, then you can take that step. And it might be like this is like, I never want to see that person again. And God will give you the energy. It's like, okay, maybe I'll pray for him a little bit. <laughs> but I don't want to see him. And stuff like that. Okay, God says pray for him a little bit more. Okay. And then you start finding compassion, and then it's like, oh, man, you know, well, you know, maybe I ought to go check on them a little bit. And then you take that other step, and then before you know it, you see where you were wrong in some things, and then you want to apologize. And before you know it, you're going over and having conversations when you didn't even want to see this person. God will take you step by step by step if you trust that his power and presence is within you to do it. There are some people in here that might have been hurt by people for decades, and you think that you can't get over it. Let me tell you something from experience. God can free you from that. God can give you the air and opportunity, and if you take it, I guarantee you, if he, you take one step, he will push you 10. Some of y'all know what I'm talking about. If you take one step, he will push you 10, because this is what he wants for us. He wants us to share his love and his grace and his mercy with each other so that we edify each other. But if we hold that meaner, then we can't do that. Right now, there is nothing but air and opportunity between us and the next step that God has for us. Some of us might be doing big things, other things might be doing little things or everything in between, but the air and opportunity that you have been looking for is already in you because you believe in the Savior. There is this um, song, and I love it, um, by Eric Clapton, If I Could Change the World. Anybody like this song? Yes, I love Eric Clapton, and I love the movie Phenomenon. But anyway, there are a lot of people, everybody wants to change the world. They want to make these different big changes, and they want to see an impact that they make with their life. And I want to share with you, my brothers and sisters, if you rely on that meaning, if you use that inheritance, that, that deposit that God has given you for the inheritance, if you put that presence to use, you will change the world. The best way to change the world is to change yourself. Then you change the world because you have changed yourself. So if you really want to make the world change, if you really want to make the world a better place, if you really want to be the faithful servant and not the unfaithful servant, then realize all that God has already given you in that inheritance. Live by that. When anything in your mind tells you you can't, you say, no, that is a lie because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, period. Oh, 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 oh really, I can't forgive? And that's the thing. sometimes you can make a joke out of it. Oh, you think I can't forgive that? Christ, baby. 
The fiery darts, I'm serious, because they will come at you. This person's insulting you, and this bill's coming, and this car almost hit you, and you got to use that shield of faith like, hey. <laughs> In all seriousness, understand wherever you are right now under the sound of my voice, whatever life situation you're in, you have the air and opportunity to make the next step towards your healing and the healing of the world. Don't miss out on it. Don't put it in a bag. Actually use it. Actually take it and use it. And I guarantee you that not only will you get the master's favor, but you will be spreading the kingdom. Let's pray. We'd have the prayer team come up. Lord, we just want to be more like you. When you just come down to it, we just want to be more like you. And we just pray that we would receive the understanding of the air and opportunity. There might be some people that we need to reconcile with. There might be some responsibilities that we need to take care of. There might be some sin that we need to acknowledge in our own lives. But we know that because you love us and because you have given us your presence, that we can make the steps that we need to make to be whole and to make the world a whole place. I pray that as we depart from each other, that we would never depart from each other in spirit and we would never depart from your holy presence. And that we would go out and we would transform the world for your glory. Because we can change the world in your name, by your spirit. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Um, if you need prayer, the prayer team is up here. Otherwise, go out, use your mina, and serve the Lord.